Welcome to today's podcast, The Business Case for Making Culture a Top Priority. In recent years, culture has increasingly become a top corporate governance priority. Research and real-world experience suggest a healthy corporate culture can be leveraged as a tangible risk management tool that can help firms spend smarter and be more responsive to current and growing regulatory trends. Investments in corporate culture can be a more efficient way to enhance risk management and compliance rather than increasing personnel or technology. In this podcast, RAIN founder David Lawrence sits down with David Potofsky, General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer at News Corporation, where he oversees global legal operations, including litigation, mergers and acquisitions, ethics and corporate governance matters, and chairs the company's Compliance Steering Committee. In June 2015, he was recognized on the Attorneys Who Matter list by Ethisphere Institute, the global leader in defining and advancing the standards of ethical business practice. Prior to News Corp, Mr. Potofsky was a partner at Goodwin Proctor's litigation practice, focused on white-collar defense, government and internal investigations, and securities litigation and enforcement. Previously, Mr. Potofsky was an assistant U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of New York, rising to the level of Deputy Chief of the Criminal Division. I will now turn it over to David Lawrence, founder of RAIN. David? David, thank you very much for joining us today, and this is a follow-on to some terrific remarks uh, that you provided at a conference uh, we hosted together with Selvin Cromwell and uh, the Wharton uh, Business Review as well as uh, Dow Jones. So thank you for taking the time. Um, one thing I will mention to the audience, there are many people who speak about culture and have all sorts of ideas. Um, some of them are academics, some are consultants. Uh, the benefit of having David for this podcast is we have someone who has actually been in the trenches and has had to uh, deal with a number of uh, issues and also has been very much at the forefront of working with leading corporations. So thank you again for joining us, David. Thank you for having me. So let's begin with a uh, simple definition, which is uh, your understanding of what is culture. Well, I'm not sure it's all that simple. I actually had to look it up once uh, to do some of the work that I do. And if I remember correctly, the gist of the definition was that culture is the collective and prevailing set of beliefs, norms, values, standards, practices of a particular group. Um, and I think that's a good definition and it starts to hint at some of the important challenges that we face in, in dealing with corporate culture, one of which is the, the idea that it's collective. I think sometimes people tend to think of culture as something that's created. I actually think that culture is more something that arises, something that happens. I think it can be directed and it should be directed, but I think the idea that it gets created is a little bit arrogant and sets you off in a wrong direction. And I think the fact that it's prevailing uh, suggests that it's what most people believe, uh, not everyone. And so getting 100% buy-in of everyone, particularly in a company as large as News Corporation, is not something you're going to achieve. There's always going to be at the margins individuals in the organization that don't fully buy into the prevailing culture. Uh, 
And I guess I'd make the other point about News Corp, which is in a company as large and as geographically diverse and in as many different business lines as News Corp, we don't have one culture. We, we have multiple cultures. They may be overlapping in important respects, but there are multiple cultures. And so we need to be mindful of that when we're putting together a compliance plan that will actually work in a lot of different geographies with a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, great overview, and when I said a simple definition, I put that term in quotes. Uh, <laughs> and it also means different things to different people. Exactly. Uh, you just highlighted, um, as you said, every organization may have a multiple of cultures and subcultures. Maybe you could expand a little bit on that, because I know uh, you have responsibility for uh, a company that operates in many different jurisdictions, hires people from many different countries with many different backgrounds. Right. So we don't really operate in what are traditionally thought of as high-risk jurisdictions geographically. We're primarily in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, all of which do well on things like the Transparency International Compliance Index, Compliance Risk Index. Um, we do operate in different businesses. We have traditional businesses in, in journalism um, that come with their own set of standards and practices. But then we also have companies more on the startup end of the spectrum doing creative digital um, operations that we're moving into. And th that tends to be a younger workforce and a very energetic workforce but the ethos of startups is a sort of a move fast and break things ethos, um, which is good in a lot of ways. Risk is not a four-letter word. Risk is sort of the lifeblood of capitalism. Um, but businesses that, that come to us with a healthier appetite for risk are ones that present a different compliance challenge. Commitment to processes and details uh, is not something that is collectively part of where they came from. It's something that we introduce to them and bring them along with, but they don't necessarily bring it with them. And um, in your many years of practice, um, I know that your perspective on the, both the definition of culture, but the role that it plays within an organization, particularly around uh, driving what I refer to as compliance with certain norms, expectations of the organization, and uh, the various sort of legal and regulatory requirements. All that has uh, shifted over time, both in terms of your thinking, but also because of real-world events. Um, if you go back to, obviously, some of the corporate scandals and, you know, the 80s and 90s, and certainly the financial crisis brought this uh, very much into the spotlight, and the Federal Reserve has uh, spoken out about the importance of culture. But I was hoping maybe you could share uh, with our listeners a little bit of the evolution of your thinking and the role that culture plays in terms of um, driving what I'll refer to as compliant behavior, compliant in terms of the expectations of corporate management and the boards of directors. Well, I would say that groups are generally looking to achieve their primary goal, which can be to make and sell products or services, but they're also looking 
to do it in an enduring way. They're looking to make them and sell them in the right way so that they can build a business machine that works in the present but works over the long term. Um, and that balance is a difficult one to strike uh, in all circumstances. Um, you have shortcuts that count as efficiencies that work to make the company uh, more effective at getting their products to market. And then you have shortcuts that are just breaking rules and standards that are important in order to ensure that the business is being done in a way that uh, that stands the company well into the future. And culture is just this thing in the water that is hard to define, but I think people sense, which is what the company's view is as to where that balance lies and when to put one's foot on the gas and really drive results and when to tap the brake and make sure that things are getting done the right way. And in lots of different ways, spoken and unspoken, companies are constantly sending messages to the group about how they want that balance struck and how they want at the same time to drive results, but to ensure that they're done in the right way and so that the business is an enduring one going forward. And it happens every day in meetings all over the place. And sometimes the message either doesn't get spoken the right way or doesn't get through the right way, and that can lead to problems. Um, but it's really just this collective sense that you want to instill in the group that, yes, we're trying to achieve our goals as a business, but we're trying to do it the right way for a host of reasons, one of which is we don't want to go afoul of the law, but there's also reputational reasons. And I think there's also just the pride in knowing that you did the work in the right way. So let me unpack, uh, because you touched upon uh, a number of good themes, but let me unpack um, some of these uh, very important points. Um, as regulators have noted, and you can't help but see this in the difference between what occurs and uh, what is aspirational and what becomes reality, many of the corporate failures that have made the headlines and attracted the attention of regulators and the public. Um, they all had codes of ethics. They all had value statements. They had compliance manuals, et cetera. And the point you seem to be touching upon is an important one. There is, uh, there's the talk and then there's the walk. And maybe you can help our listeners uh, understand how you make sure that what is being conveyed, whether it's in writing or in comments by certain members of senior management um, or in annual reports actually gets translated into the day-to-day -day operations of the company. Well, I think one of the challenges of compliance is that in a lot of ways, the things that are most effective and meaningful are the hardest to quantify or to evidence. And so if you come to compliance with the idea that you need policies and you need to distribute those policies and you need to train on those policies, 
and you need to do the sort of quantifiable things that you'll be able to show to a regulator at the end, you, you may be sort of missing the core of the thing, which is just what are the what are what is communicated to people by their supervisors every day about getting the right balance between working aggressively toward the goal but doing it the right way because if i have a series of policies and trainings that i can quantify but in in the everyday managers are making it clear to their employees that the balance should lean more in favor of aggressive business behavior and focus less on the risk profiles the message is not going to get through people particularly in our company people are not going to care about what a document made a half a world away says uh, is what the company values as opposed to what the individual supervisor is going to communicate to them and so a big thing we focus on we we do the training and the policies and all those things and take it very seriously but we really try to focus on the question of where is culture really made in the company we go into the business units and find that there are just places there's a there's a weekly town hall meeting or there are other meetings at which the important things are discussed and we try to understand those moments and those places in the organization and try to work with the people who are speaking in those meetings about what they're doing to communicate the compliance message and it can be hard to document um, but we focus a lot on doing it because our first job is not to defend our system if we get into trouble our first goal is to prevent compliance breaches from happening in the first place and that's the most effective way to do it and david uh, because you you're raise an excellent point here that obviously it's about making sure that there's not a disconnect between sort of the published values and the published rules of the road and what is actually um, going on within an organization and how you begin to think about that. What is the best way or what are the best ways that you've seen of actually understanding what is happening inside an organization and sort of verifying that the message is in fact getting through and I know it's not um, so much a science as an art form and it probably it does depend on each organization but maybe you can share some of the more effective ways that you you've learned throughout your career about making sure that the general themes of a company's culture and what they are trying to achieve for long-term sustainability are actually getting through and being put into practice uh, because, you know, with subcultures and a broad organization, uh, all sorts of um, activity could be going on that is counter to what management, you know, uh, is aspiring to. Well, I think that's exactly right. Um, what you refer to as subcultures can also become blind spots in an effort to have a compliant business. And the biggest thing is just making sure that there's good communication in both directions. 
then in addition to speaking from headquarters and from the compliance group about what expectations are, that we're also listening and that people feel comfortable speaking with us about what they're observing. And that can come through uh, an alert line where if people want to speak on the record or confidentially, uh, they can do so. But even more so, just going out into the businesses. Uh, a lot of times we we tr we try to continue to do face-to-face -face training, even though online training has become so prevalent and um, accepted, not necessarily for the training part of it, but for the being there in person, because we find that at the end of a training, uh, people will come up and they'll ask questions and they'll talk to you. Uh, we try to find stakeholders in the business to have good relationships with, just so that we can be listening as much if not more than we're talking um, and really finding out where where might those blind spots be where might those subcultures be and what can or should we be doing uh, to make sure that in that pocket that maybe hasn't brought itself up to the standard that we expect that they can get in line with the company's overall goals okay, so um as you think about this, and we, we like to think of this as situational awareness. And by the way, this is not limited to the private sector. These are endemic issues that we're seeing playing out and have played out with the military, uh, with various law enforcement agencies that have had uh, issues with respect to uh, their culture and the objectives of the management of those agencies. Uh, but maybe uh, as you think about this, I know companies do surveys, uh, people do those things online, they're promised anonymity, but I don't think uh, many people uh, believe that, you know, the confidentiality of their remarks are being preserved. But, you know, just some of the things that have actually, and maybe you can draw upon your experience, both practicing law as well as in-house, in terms of uh, those moments where you were able to break down people's reticence or were able to break down the sort of corridors of uh, hesitation in terms of raising issues that were important from a culture standpoint and from a compliance standpoint, uh, because I think every organization is sort of um, struggling. They know what to do in terms of uh, what regulatory expectations are, but understanding you know the situational awareness of what is actually happening in an organization uh, is is sort of the holy grail here, David. Right. Well, I guess it comes back again. To the question of culture, which is putting aside companies that just have catastrophic compliance failures where senior people have just set out on an unlawful path to doing business, uh, the more common problem, uh, I think, is just situations in which some person or some group of people get off track within the organization, usually because they're feeling short-term pressures that make them feel like they have to take shortcuts to achieve goals that have been set. And they're not doing it in isolation, they're doing it around a lot of coworkers. And what you really want is for those coworkers to understand that as an organization, that's not what we stand for, that's not what we wanna be, that's not good business, that's putting everyone at risk and that they should come forward and they should let someone in authority know about this because they can see that they're people whose compass is broken and have gotten offline. And 
that's what tends to work. I'm not sure that in the moment after you've had a failure, there's much you can do uh, to make people come forward. You have to have done all that homework ahead of time. You have to have instilled a belief in the organization that they really should come forward when they see something. And it, it takes a lot of investment, but it pays off more uh, than what you have to put into it in those moments where someone comes forward, alerts you to something where you can get in there sooner and fix it before it gets much worse and you have a much worse problem on your hands. So we certainly have seen with uh, the explosion of questions raised um, about, we'll call it workplace behavior, um, whether it's harassment, assault, uh, we're watching just a horrendous scandal unfold involving Olympic athletes and Michigan State, and uh, the testimony for those who have not spent time with it is certainly worth uh, listening to is a great lesson about how a problem can exist for a very, very long time, how even some people can raise their hand, how the issue gets ignored and mismanaged, and the institutional responses can absolutely fail. And um, David, some of the lessons perhaps that you're taking away from, you know, recent events, um, we'll call it post Harvey Weinstein, but the Olympic uh, situation, but also as um, what I'll refer to is companies continue to have breakdowns in their compliance efforts you still have people engaged in price fixing. You have people who are engaged in um, doing business and sanctioned activities and paying bribes and illegal campaign contributions and insider trading. It just sort of goes on and on. And I'm just curious how, because um, I know you, you give a lot of thought to this, but you know some of the takeaway lessons of how institutions have to be structured to receive information and for people to be actually encouraged, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll use the word enabled, uh, to come forward and to do so, maybe not just a single time, but possibly to have to be very persistent when they observe things that are occurring. Well, I would say, I guess we're fortunate to some degree that most of the areas across which we have to ensure compliance involve money transfers. So anti-bribery, sanctions, um, anything involving a financial transaction, um, there's money transfers involved and we can and do keep an eye on the money. And if we start to see unusual transactions or transactions going to recipients that look problematic, we have an ability through the objective evidence that comes out of those transactions to see what's going on. I guess the common problem in, in the things that you listed is you don't have that kind of paper trail. It's just a personal conduct issue. And oftentimes a personal conduct issue in an environment in which the only people that are aware of it are the perpetrator and the victim. Um, and so again, it, it comes back to culture where you need people to understand 
that that's just not something that will be tolerated in the company. And by the way, a lot of the things you're mentioning, it, it's a culture that doesn't stop at the edge of the of the company either. It's a it's a general uh, cultural issue that then manifests itself inside of the company. Um, and so, you know, it's a very difficult challenge, but um, I, I think what we're focusing on is making sure that because the victim is almost is very regularly the only evidence of the misconduct that the victim feels comfortable coming forward and we want the victim to come forward the board wants the victim to come forward um, the board wants to be able to isolate bad actors early on and deal with them through termination or otherwise before they can create problems that are going to yield a much larger liability. And also just to get back to my original point, just have people work in the organization that you don't want. You're not proud to be in an organization that has those sorts of people. But you really have to create an environment in which um, the victim feels comfortable coming forward. And so you just try in many ways as possible. You, you create an anonymous hotline that they can call in. Um, you create people in the, in the business unit they can go to. You, we, we here at headquarters are a different line of, of authority figures that you can go to. Um, we send out messages that reiterate um, how important it is that people come forward. Um, and you just have to uh, have established trust with people. Uh, because if you send all those messages, but people don't believe them, they won't come forward. So it's an ongoing effort to just make sure that people really believe that the board genuinely and senior management genuinely wants them to come forward and will deal with their allegations with as much rigor and sensitivity as possible. And as you um, think about Again, uh, the issues of culture, um, and I've you know I've heard your remarks. You can't teach it. Um, there's no training that provides it. It just has to be practiced on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, what are the different areas as you think about not just News Corp, but your days of private practice? But as uh, an organization thinks about its culture and thinks about its people and both the individual behavior and the group collective behavior. Um, how do you think about an organization's ability to do its own risk assessment? How should a company, its board, its C-suite begin to understand sort of what the issues are, what they could be, and you know how a company can sort of go off the tracks and what they have to begin to address in terms of messaging? Well, I would say that... Um you know, like like all the disciplines in the organization, legal, HR, finance, we, we have internal people who we hire because they're very good at the work that they do. But it's important uh, from time to time to have outside advisors, experts come in. 
uh, either because they're just going to see blind spots that you're not seeing or because they're going to have a more three-dimensional sense of what the issues are because they've seen them manifest themselves in not just your organization but other organizations. So a partnership between the internal professionals and the excellent external people you can find is invaluable. In terms of messaging, and this is something we touched on at the conference that you mentioned at the start, is um, I have a view that um, it's important that headquarters just not speak at employees about compliance, but rather understand from the employee's perspective how they're seeing the decisions that they make every day, how they're seeing the culture how they understand what it is the business is trying to achieve. And so we had a message, um, a video message that was sent out in, in one of our businesses in London that's a journalism business where the CEO talked about uh, the pride that the group had in terms of the investigative and other journalism work they do to hold governments and corporations and other powerful people and organizations to account and that it wouldn't be possible to do that work without holding ourselves to those same standards. And we have a commitment to compliance and ethics and practices because we don't have the moral authority to criticize others if we don't hold themselves to those same standards. And I thought it was one of the most effective messages that I've seen. Um, and it's part of our continuing focus to really understand these subcultures within our organization and how the ethical compass is tuned by particular groups of employees and speak to them in a way that makes sense to them and not just in a way that in some abstract sense makes sense from on high. David, as um, just a reminder uh, about why these things matter, not in the abstract, not as a matter of compliance. Um, I know you have witnessed and certainly recent events demonstrate how a company's value can quickly be diminished uh, because of the behavior of even, you know, a single individual. Um, and uh, that includes publicly traded companies uh, most recently um, the situation with Steve Wynn, uh, most recently, uh, company guest genes um, saw significant cuts in their market cap. And as you talk to members of boards of directors, um, is this something that they're already aware of, or is there a bit of an educational process about uh, sort of what happens in real life events uh, when there are these? Uh, lapses in culture and compliance? Um, well, I can't speak for all boards since I don't have any idea what their internal operations are, but it certainly has been our experience, and it would be surprising to me if it wasn't the experience elsewhere, um, that boards sit up and take a lot of notice when they read about issues affecting another company which they see could also affect ours as well. A good example would be cybersecurity. 
we've had the good fortune of we, we have all sorts of cyber issues that come up from time to time. All companies do, but we haven't had anything that's been particularly large or problematic. Um, but other companies have. And the board's attention gets drawn to it, and the board asks the right questions, which are, what are our vulnerabilities, and what are we doing, and how much of a risk is this for us, and are we doing enough? Um, and so the example of all of these uh, companies that run into problems uh, provides a framework for a conversation with the board, and we have it. and. You know, most of the time we're we're happily able to report to the board that we're already doing everything we should be. But sometimes even as an executive team, we see that issues that are arising refocus us to maybe uh, contribute a little bit more effort to mitigate that risk and see that we don't find ourselves in the newspapers along with the other companies. And uh, let me just sort of uh, go a little bit off uh, our prior discussions, uh, both at uh, the conference, but also, you know, informally. Uh, very often people can forget uh, prior events, uh, both within a, uh, with other companies, but also internally. So the history of things that have worked, things that have not worked uh, well with, uh, within a company and its culture. Lessons learned, past events that have caused some scar tissue, past events that were handled correctly, and why it came out. And I'll also say, ask people who have come forward uh, to raise their hand and, and raise significant questions that were appreciated by a company. And it's a little bit of the power of history, power of narrative, but very often, and particularly in in companies where there is a fair amount of turnover and there are always new, younger people entering, how do you begin to maybe ensure that the past lessons are not lost? Uh, both again, past lessons externally, but also internally. Well, it's a great question. Um, whether the, the past issue happened to your company or happened to another company that you're very familiar with, um, those kinds of incidents really focus the mind. And so when the compliance team is in the business and explaining new initiatives, new procedures, new requirements, um, it can become very easy to explain to the business why this is an important initiative that needs to be put to the front burner um, and, and, and people really need to dig in. Um, as you get distance, it, you know, from a communications perspective, it gets harder. There's no doubt about it. But that just means we need to get better. It just need, it means we need to not rely on something so easy to communicate from the compliance perspective why these things are important, but have the ability to explain to people why it's important. Um, you know, business people, when you ask them to take on an additional responsibility, are going to ask you to explain why they should prioritize it. And we need to be in a position where we have good answers. Um, and frankly, I like that challenge. Um, as someone who spent a career in sort of a persuasive 
position, whether it's as a trial lawyer, as a prosecutor, or as a general counsel, um, you know, we appreciate the challenge. We appreciate having to be more creative and more articulate and more forceful. It's the same thing. We still need to explain to people why it's important. Um, it gets a little harder, but that's okay. We're up to it. So I'm going to use another term just to maybe wrap up um, the most recent comments that you had, which is there's a certain authenticity, um, David, when you speak about some of these issues. And part of that comes from, you know, having witnessed and been in the middle of some of these firestorms. And the one thing that I, I have observed both during my days at Goldman Sachs, but also uh, in working with a number of companies is that uh, the message does matter, but the messenger also matters. Who's delivering the message? And the ability for authenticity and to acknowledge, you know, some of the past mistakes, to acknowledge the lessons learned, to acknowledge that, you know, there will be mistakes in the future, uh, but you hope to catch them sooner and, you know, obviously to address them in a uh, very facile and very quick way. Um, maybe you can share with uh, our listeners just a little bit about the authenticity that is required around these messages and some of the authenticity that you brought to the table. Well, I would say, um, you know, I'm part of an executive team that I think really focuses on that. Um, you know, people are very, we have, people generally and people in this organization are very smart. They find it very easy to figure out the difference between someone who's just talking the talk and someone who is really trying to communicate something important to them. And so you just, first of all, you have to really be committed to it yourself. Um, you have to be committed to ethical practices. Um, I, I think what, what makes the work a lot easier is you know, sometimes people like to talk about compliance risk mitigation in terms of preventing government investigation and prosecution or something like that. Um, sometimes people like to talk about it in terms of civil liability or reputational liability or something else that might affect the long-term value of the company. But you can also just talk about it in terms of what's right and what's wrong and what kind of business people we want to be and what how we want to act and present ourselves in the world. And I think our executive team really focuses on that, really focuses on it not as a, a, a risk mitigation issue or a, 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 an aversion to getting caught but really gets to the core of just trying to behave as responsible business actors in the world and only accepting business and business practices that you can be proud of. And if you get it right at that level, everything else follows from there. Um, and so I, I think that's where we start from, which is not an effort to not get caught and not an effort to be able to explain ourselves if we get caught, but an effort to not do things, to not solicit or accept business that we're not proud of. Um, and it's a, a simple formula, 
Um, but a lot of times I hear language that suggests to me that people are coming from it from the other side. Um, and I don't know why that is, um, because I think we've had a lot of success at just coming at it from sort of the heart. Well, there are always haters out there, David, and there are always people who are looking to criticize organizations. And there's a broader debate actually around capitalism and the function of corporations here. Uh, so uh, I'm sure there'll be no shortage of critics going forward. But um, the ability to acknowledge past mistakes, and the ability to speak from the heart about um, what has worked and what has not worked inside a corporation. Uh, I've witnessed that in your remarks, and um, it's, ex it, it's extraordinarily uh, important uh, when talking about the issues of culture and culture maintenance uh, within an organization. Uh, let me uh, mention that um, hopefully with the assistance and collaboration with David, that among the things that we have noted are uh, a, a significant trove of important insights about human behavior that have been provided over the years, and I mean going back 50 years, uh, from the social sciences, documented um, issues about when people will question authority, when they'll raise their hand, when they will recognize that something could be a risk, um, what will drive behavior around certain norms, what will drive behavior away from those norms, uh, what drives cooperation and collaboration within an organization, what provides uh, long-term loyalties, and uh, an understanding that uh, the walk and the talk have to be uh, unified. So we look forward to working with David on this. And I guess if you could, maybe we'll just wrap up with, uh, if at all possible, uh, sharing any initiatives that you think uh, could be helpful to our listeners in terms of how to think about, uh, again, the recent lessons, but also uh, the challenges to managing companies, uh, the behavior of human capital, and um, long-term sustainable value. Well, I think to your point about the sort of behavioral sciences, um, it's, a, it's an important development in the, as, it over, as it relates to the compliance work um, because it really gets down to the question of those moments when under stress people are confronted with uh, options and one of them may have the allure of a short-term fix but carry the problem of long-term risk? And how do you get people in your organization in those moments to make the right decision? And that's a complicated question. And the more that behavioral science can help us uh, get informed about how to send the right messages to make sure that those decisions get made the right way, um, we'll take all the help we can get. David, thank you again for your time. Um, and I'll note for our listeners that uh, David's efforts are not just intended uh, with respect to his company, but he's been very, very generous in sharing his insights with many other industry uh, professionals. And he continues to, I'll, I'll refer to it as serve the, the broader public interest with his insights, his uh, comments, and with his time. So thank you again, David.
Thank you.